Welcome to Music History Monday for November 23rd, 2020. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Musicians Behaving Badly. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. Before getting on to our central topic for today's post, naughty, naughty musicians, we need to give a shout-out to the great Spanish composer and conductor Manuel de Falla, who was born on November 23, 1876, 144 years ago today, in the Andalusian port city of Cadiz. We will celebrate Defia tomorrow in my Dr. Bob Prescribes post, which will focus on his ballet, El Amor Brujo, meaning The Magician Love of 1915, and the Carlos Suara movie of the same title from 1986, based on Defia's ballet. On to today's featured presentation, Musicians Behaving Badly. On November 23rd, 1956, 64 years ago today, a sheet metal worker named Louis Balint was arrested after attacking the king, Elvis Presley, in Toledo, Ohio. Here's what happened. On November 22, 1956, Elvis Presley and his band played two shows in Toledo's sports arena. Elvis's fame and popularity had skyrocketed since his first two appearances on The Ed Sullivan Show just a few weeks before, on September 9th and October 28, 1956. Along with the concerts, November 22, 1956, was an auspicious day for Elvis and his fans in Toledo, as that was the day Presley's first movie, Love Me Tender, opened its local run at Toledo's Paramount Theater. A reporter for the Toledo Blade named Charles Gilmore covered the concerts. He reported that Presley's, quote, bumps and grinds, unquote, drove his screaming fans to a level of hysteria he had never before witnessed, quote, and when Elvis went into the show closer with Hound Dog, the kids broke from their seats and rushed the stage and the aisles as 20 security guards watched helplessly." Unquote. After the concert, Elvis and his bandmates retired to the Commodore Perry Hotel's Shalimar Room Bar. It was there that he was confronted by a supposedly 19-year-old local named Louis Balint, who threw a punch at Elvis after shouting, quote, My wife carries your picture but doesn't carry mine. Unquote. According to the Toledo Blade, a free for all ensued. When the police arrived to break it up, they found Presley punching Louis Bayland, quote, who was trying to toss one of the musicians, Scotty Moore, over a railing. Unquote. Bayland was carted off. By the time he was formally arrested, it was November 23rd. For our information, he was sentenced to seven days in the local workhouse, 
when he couldn't pay the $19.60 fine, about $185 today, that had been levied against him. Great story, yes? It gets better. Soon enough, this Louis Bailent claimed to have been paid $200 to punch Elvis while yelling that he was jealous that his wife carried a picture of Elvis in her wallet. He said that he was told to say he was 19 years old, despite the fact that he was 22 years old, quote, because the Elvis promoters thought it would appeal more to Presley's fans if his accuser was still a teenager, unquote. Now look, it was never proven one way or the other, whether Bailand was telling the truth. But not for a second would we put it past Elvis's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, to have staged the whole thing. Parker was profiled in my Music History Monday post on September 24, 2018, and as best as I can surmise, he was the shiftiest, cleverest, most unprincipled manager to ever have existed, and that my friends, is saying a lot. If Louis Balin's story is true, then Elvis, who would certainly have been in on the hoax, behaved rather badly that evening, 64 years ago today. I'd observe that we expect rockers to misbehave on stage and off. It's all part of the oversexed outlaw persona that hovers around rock and roll like a swarm of flies over roadkill. But, given our unfortunate proclivity to deify composers of so-called classical music, we often forget that they are people as well, and that as people, they are as prone to bad behavior, sometimes even heinous behavior, as any one of us. You want to talk about heinous behavior? Then let's talk about Carlo Gesualdo. 1566 to 1613, the Prince of Venosa, a province in southern Italy. The prince was famous for his outlandishly modern madrigals, vocal compositions. But he was also known in his time as the musical butcher of Venosa, as a notorious killer responsible for at least three murders. On his deathbed, he confessed to having murdered his elder brother in 1584 in order to inherit his family's titles and wealth. It was his first killing, but it would not be his last. Gesualdo had a first cousin named Maria Davalos. Renowned for her beauty, she had been married twice by the age of 25. Her first husband, Federigo Crafa Marchese de San Lucido, was said to have died from, quote, an excess of conjugal bliss, unquote. Her second husband, Alfonso Duayeni, presumably avoided the same fate by divorcing Donna Maria, not an easy thing to do in 16th century Italy. For Carlo Gesualdo, Maria Davalos was perfect, and he took her as his blushing bride in 1586 when he was just 20 years old. Unfortunately, Maria soon discovered that her young hubby was much more interested in music than their marriage bed. So she took a lover, a gent named Fabrizio Carafi, the Duke of Andria, who is said to be, quote, the most graceful and desirable man in Naples, 
unquote. Maria and Fabrizio had been doing their thing for over two years when Gesualdo finally discovered what was going on. He did not take it well. On October 15, 1590, he left his palace with his bravi, his homies, having announced that they were going quail hunting and would be back in a few days. Later that evening, the most graceful and desirable Duke Fabrizio let himself into Gesualdo's castle and found his way to the bed of Donna Maria. According to contemporary court records, Gesualdo and his men kicked in the bedroom door at about 3 a.m. in the morning of October 16th. While his men held the Duke, Gesualdo ran him through with his sword 27 times, as Gesualdo proudly told the court of inquiry, one thrust for each month the affair had been going on. It was then Donna Maria's turn. For this, the Duke put down his sword and pulled out a stilo, a dagger. Charity begs discretion here. We will simply quote the court docket, which indicates that Maria's fatal wounds were confined, quote, almost exclusively to those parts of her body which she ought to have kept honest, unquote. The bodies were then hung, naked and upside down, in the courtyard where they remained on view for some time, until, according to a contemporary report, quote, the crows no longer desired them anymore, unquote. Now, I trust we all realize that this sort of thing didn't happen every day. Prince slices and dices, wifey and duke hangs him up to dry. And it created a sensation across Europe. The murders became the Euro scandal of 1590. Following the inquest, the local governor immediately cleared Gesualdo of all charges, stating for the record that he had done so, quote, in the interest of upholding decency and the remembrance that wifely purity is to be maintained at all times, unquote. The Vatican, adding its own two lira, made this brief statement, quote, only God passes justice, justice is served, unquote. Carlo Gesualdo emerged from the affair with a nickname by which he was known far and wide, Il Musical Marcellaio di Venosa, the musical butcher of Venosa. Writing just a few years after Gesualdo's death, the Modena-based chronicler Giovanni Battista Spaccini described the prince's final years, quote, Gesualdo was assailed and afflicted by a vast horde of demons, which gave him no peace for days on end, unless ten or twelve young men, whom he kept specially for the purpose, were to beat him violently three times a day, during which operation he was wont to smile joyfully." Unquote. That's one messed up dude. Hey, look, for even more detail of this horrific affair, I would direct your attention to my Scandalous Overtures episode, a link to which can be found in the printed version of this post. You want to talk behaving badly? Then let us talk about the English composer and organist Thomas Wilkes, 1576 to 1623. Sometime between October 1601 and October 1602, Wilkes 
took up the position of organist and informator chorostarum, meaning instructor of the choir boys, at the prestigious Chichester Cathedral. It appears that Wilkes, for all his talent, was simply a bad boy, a notoriously tardy, ill-disciplined, insolent, and ungovernable employee who allowed the choir boys to run roughshod over the cathedral and its grounds. We do not know when his problem with alcohol began, but by 1613 his drunkenness and bad language were being noted in the cathedral records. In 1614, he urinated on the dean of the cathedral from the organ loft during the evensong service. By 1616, his habitual drunkenness at the organ keyboard and his unfortunate habit of swearing loudly during services got him the sack. Incredibly, he was eventually reinstated, though his blasphemous behavior did not change. In 1619, he was once again reported to the bishop, quote, Diverse times, and very often, he comes so drunk, either from the tavern or alehouse, into the choir, as is much to be lamented. For in these humors, he will both curse and swear most dreadfully, and so profane the service of God. And though he hath been oftentimes admonished to refrain these humors and reform himself, yet he daily continues the same, and is rather worse than better therein." Unquote. Having to teach and discipline choir boys and student orchestras has been a problem for many working musicians, none more so than Johann Sebastian Bach in his early gig at the church in the central German town of Arnstadt. There was no mention of his having to conduct the boys' choir and student orchestra in his contract, but it turned out he was expected to do so anyway. Bach was not a happy camper. He wasn't being paid to conduct. The students weren't very good, and discipline was a huge problem. Many of the students were older than Bach, who was just 20 years old at the time he took the job. The students irritated him and they, in turn, were not inclined to do what he told them to do. Things came to a head one evening when Bach and his cousin, Barbara Katharina, were returning home. As they crossed the market square, they saw a group of students sitting in a corner. One of them ran towards them. It turned out to be a hulking lout named Geiersbach, a bassoonist in the student orchestra, and he was carrying a stick. Geiersbach accused Bach of making fun of his bassoon, which he said was the same thing as making fun of him. Increasingly hot words were exchanged until Geiersbach yelled, You dirty dog! and commenced to whap Bach with his cudgel. Bach reached for the dagger he carried against just such an eventuality. Geiersbach wrestled him to the ground and they rolled around for a bit before a group of students pulled them apart and stood them up. Bach was pissed and demanded that Geiersbach be disciplined. A hearing was convened at which Bach's cousin, Katharina, confirmed his version of events. But when Geiersbach was questioned, it turned out that Bach had indeed insulted him in front of the entire highly amused orchestra by calling him a zippel fagotist, 
meaning a weenie bassoon player. Well, no one likes being called a weenie anything, especially in front of a lot of people. The authorities ruled the matter closed and advised Bach to work on his anger management skills. Aside from all being great German-born composers, among the things the three Bs, the killer Bs, Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms, had in common was a short-fused temper. Beethoven, bless him, turned irritability into a performance art. As an example, his student and friend Ferdinand Ries tells this story. Quote, One day we were dining at the Swain, the waiter brought him the wrong dish. Beethoven said a few choice words about it, which the waiter answered perhaps not quite so politely as he should have. When Beethoven laid hold of the dish, a kind of roast beef with lots of sauce, and flung it at the waiter's head. The poor fellow still had on his arm a large number of plates containing various dishes, a dexterity which Viennese waiters possessed to a high degree, and could do nothing to help himself. The sauce ran down his face. He and Beethoven shouted and cursed each other while all the guests laughed out loud. Finally, Beethoven began laughing at the sight of the waiter, who lapped up with his tongue the sauce that was running down his face. He tried to go on hurling insults, but went on lapping instead, pulling the most ludicrous faces the while. It was a picture worthy of Hogarth. Rees continues. Beethoven hardly knew what money was, which often gave rise to unpleasant scenes because, mistrustful in general, he often believed he had been cheated when in fact he had not. Quickly aroused, he bluntly called people cheats, which in the case of waiters had to be made good by a tip. Ultimately, his peculiarities and his absent-mindedness became so well-known at the inns he most frequented that everything was tolerated, even when he left without paying." Unquote. We conclude this post with the English composer, novelist, and painter Gerald Hugh Triwit Wilson, 14th Baron Berners, 1883-1950 usually referred to as Lord Berners, he was not so much badly behaved as he was a naughty eccentric. As a child, he loved nothing more than to construct and leave booby traps for whomever was unlucky enough to encounter them. He was told that one could teach a dog to swim by simply throwing him in the water. Intrigued, he decided to teach his mother's dog how to fly by throwing it out of a window. Thank goodness the dog survived, though the Lord's backside did not, having been spanked roundly by his father. Lord Berners' questionable treatment of animals continued into his adulthood, when he delighted in catching pigeons, painting them in various bright colors, and then affixing them with masks. How he managed to avoid censure from animal rights organizations remains a mystery. His house was adorned with signs, some of them funny and some of them frankly disturbing. Out front there was one that said, quote, Trespassers will be prosecuted, dogs shot, cats whipped, unquote, 
which qualifies, I think, as disturbing. Inside the house, there were such signs as mangling done here, and inside a closet, prepare to meet your God. Both disturbing, I think. He built a 100-foot-high tower from which to view his garden, affixing it with the sign, quote, Members of the public committing suicide from this tower do so at their own risk, unquote. Okay, funny. It was Lord Berner's habit to drive around his large estate wearing a pig's head mask in order to freak out anyone who might be passing through. We suppose that's funny, unless it caused an accident, at which point it would qualify as behaving badly. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.